Well, today, as we continue our study in the book of Jacob, we come to the topic of wisdom. Wisdom. Not information, wisdom. Not what I think is right, but what God says is right. Wisdom from above and not wisdom from the flesh. If the day and age that we live in doesn't need a message on wisdom, then I don't know what it needs. Of all the topics that Jacob has written about, wisdom just might be the most important of all. You see, if you plan to grow in your faith, and I hope you all plan to grow in your faith, it's not going to happen unless you first get wisdom. And so the sermon title this morning is, Are You a Wise Guy? Are You a Wise Guy? So as is our custom, will you please stand with me as I read God's word. Jacob chapter 3, verses 13 to 18. Who is wise and understanding among you? Let him show by good conduct that his works are done in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter envy and self-seeking in your hearts, do not boast and lie against the truth. This wisdom does not descend from above, but is earthly, sensual, demonic. For where envy and self-seeking exist, confusion and every evil thing are there. But the wisdom that is from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, willing to yield, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality and without hypocrisy. Now the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. Amen. Be seated. If you had the chance to ask for anything you wanted... What would it be? Now, I'm not waiting for answers. But it's an interesting question, right? Well, it seems there was a group of three ladies on an island that had that same question. Please forgive me. One was a brunette, one was a redhead, and one was a blonde. (laughs) And they're all stuck on a desert island. And one day, the three of them are like walking along the beach, you know, talking with each other. And guess what they find? A magic lamp. And so what they do is they rub the lamp, and sure enough, poof, out pops a genie. The genie says, since I only have three wishes to grant, I can only grant each one of you one wish. So the brunette says, you know what, I've been stuck on this island for so long, I really miss my family. I just want to go home. Poof! Oh my goodness, there she is at home. She gets her wish, and she's returned to her family. Then the redhead says, I've been stuck here a long time too, and I miss my family a whole bunch. I just wish that I could go home too. Poof! Off she goes, back home, reunited with her family. The blonde woman starts to cry uncontrollably. What's the matter, asks the genie. 
I just really wish, miss my friends. I wish they were still here. (laughs) Poof. (laughs) And they're back. You know, sometimes we just wish for help. And just to show that I'm not a chauvinist, a blonde man (laughs) was home with his pregnant wife when all of a sudden her contractions started coming every two minutes She started yelling at him uncontrollably, and then her water broke. Well, not knowing what to do, he realized he needed help, and so he dials 911. My wife's in labor, and her water's broken. What do I do, he asks. The operator asks, is this her first child? No, he says, it's her husband. (laughs) Sometimes I wish I could just stand up here and tell jokes. Well, the Hebrew scriptures give us a story, a story of a man named Solomon. King Solomon showed his love for God by walking according to God's word. And God rewards him, comes to him in a dream with a profound statement. Here's what he said to Solomon. Ask for whatever you want me to give you, and I will. Ask for whatever you want me to give you, and I will. Solomon said, give me wisdom. Give me a heart that can discern right from wrong so that I can lead the people. But the story gets better, doesn't it? The Lord is so pleased with Solomon's answer that this is what he says to the king. I will do what you have asked. I will give you a wise heart so that there will never be or never has been one like you. And on top of that, since you didn't ask for honor and riches, I'm going to give you that too. Not a bad deal, was it? All because Solomon asked first and foremost for wisdom. For wisdom. And Jacob in this letter asks us a question as well, a very important question. He asks, who is wise and understanding among you? Who is wise and and understanding among you. Does anybody like sometimes get afraid to turn on the television? Does anyone get afraid to listen to the news? Does anyone worry about what's going on around us? We live in an incredible time. We have at our disposal, think about it, more knowledge and information that it, than at any time in human history information than at any time in human history. In fact, more information has been produced in the last three decades than has been produced in the last three millennia. That's 30 years versus 3,000 years. And information, not wisdom, but information, doubles every four years. And they say that the rate is increasing. We have plenty of information. That's not our problem. We're highly educated, if you will, as a society. But there's still a shortage of wisdom. Especially when it comes to the choices that we make in our lives. I mean, think about it for a minute. How do you make choices? Some of our choices are pretty simple, aren't they? 
I mean, they certainly don't change our lives. Should I order chicken or fish? Will it be chocolate pie or pecan pie? Should I even eat dessert? But there are also choices that are much bigger, choices that are a lot more important. Where will I live? What do I want to do for the rest of my life? Should I buy a house or should I rent? What about marriage? What about kids? These, these are all life-changing questions, and they require wisdom. Not information, wisdom. Now, you probably know that I, like Danny, like sports. And I like to follow sports. It's very interesting that pro athletes have personal coaches and personal trainers that make a lot of less money than they do. But the athlete knows that he or she needs their wisdom and understanding in order to succeed at what they're doing. But wisdom, dear ones, is a pretty funny thing. It's kind of hard to nail down. So in order to nail it down, of course, I went to the authority, Mr. Webster. Webster's Dictionary defines wisdom as this, the ability developed through experience to be able to discern truth and to exercise good judgment. And I think the key concept in that definition is discernment. Discernment. Wisdom is the ability to discern things properly. And so, Jacob writes in his letter, Who is wise and understanding among you? Let him show by good conduct that his works are done in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter envy and self-seeking in your hearts, do not boast and lie against the truth. This wisdom does not descend from above, but is earthly, sensual, demonic. Earthly, sensual, demonic. For where envy and self-seeking exist, confusion and every little evil thing are there. But the wisdom that is from above is first pure, peaceable, gentle, willing to yield, full of mercy, and good fruits, without partiality and without hypocrisy. The fruit of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. If you remember back through previous messages on this letter, and if you've read the book of Jacob, I hope you have as we're going through this, you'll realize that Jacob tells us a lot about how to live a faith that's mature, a growing faith. He writes about trials. He compares them to temptations. He tells us the importance of acting on what God says. It's not enough just to listen. We need to act. He says, don't show favoritism in the congregation. Treat everyone the same. And he reminds us that we need to be so very careful with our speech, with what we say. We need to learn to control our words and our tongue. And so today we come to the topic of wisdom. And again, as I said before, of all the topics he's discussed, this just may be the most important of all for all of us. I believe that wisdom, well, it's the stimulus 
for spiritual growth. The stimulus for spiritual growth. In other words, if you plan to grow in the faith, it won't happen unless you first get wisdom. Let me repeat that one. If you plan to grow in the faith, it won't happen unless you first get wisdom. And the reason for that is very simple. Without it, without wisdom, you and I will continue to make poor choices. Proverbs says it this way. Getting wisdom is the most important thing that you can do, period. So Jacob starts his letter by comparing false wisdom and true wisdom, unspiritual wisdom and spiritual wisdom. He writes that here is how you can determine whether you have the real thing or not. And it's really pretty simple. If you know it, show it. If you have it, let others see it. And how do we do that? By actions that are done with humility. Listen to how he clarifies this. Verse 14. If you harbor bitter envy and self-seeking ambition in your hearts, do not boast about it and don't deny it. So let me ask, how many of us have any level of jealousy or selfish ambition or envy in our lives? Don't raise your hands. I don't want you to embarrass yourselves. How many of us see that other people have things that we don't and it deeply disturbs us? And because it disturbs us, well, we get filled with bitterness. Now, I'm sure that many of you would say, well, of course not, Dennis. I mean, it's like saying, you know that I don't have a problem with pride, and I'm pretty proud of that. (laughs) So, if you will, let's just take a moment and break down some of Jacob's words that were in this passage. Let's look first at envy and jealousy. Envy and jealousy. I once heard someone say this, and I believe it's very true. Envy is the enemy of the believer's life. Envy is the enemy of the of the believer's life. It's the opposite of grace. Envy wants to grab things. Grace wants to give things away. Envy only takes care of one person. Self. Jealousy. Well, jealousy is simply when we want what someone else has. House, car, better looking spouse. Or we wish our kids were like their kids. Or maybe we want their job. So here is what Jacob is saying. There is no connection between envy and jealousy and godly wisdom. They are on opposite ends of the spectrum. And what about the words selfish ambition? Well, we know what it means to be ambitious. I mean, usually that's a good thing, right? It means we're motivated. So what is selfish ambition? Well, that simply means that we're motivated in the wrong way to do the wrong things. It's when every decision we make, please listen, is based on what we want. Ever do that? I'm not proud of it, but I do. So why does Jacob look at this kind, at at this rather, as a kind and type of wisdom? Well, here's what I think. Ambition and envy, if you will, they have a certain logic to them, and the logic goes like this. I have to look out for my own interests and protection, because if I don't, who will? Anybody been there? Anybody there now? If I'm going to get what I deserve, then I'm the one that has to take care of it. I'm the one that has to make it happen. 
Anybody living out that false dream? After all, I see people every day and they were hired at the same time that I was and now they have a better position and make more money than I do. What's up with that? I think that I deserve the same thing. I mean, it's just logical. Logical, yes. Spiritual, no. You see, if we say that we're going to take care of it, what we are saying is that we don't need anybody else's help to do it. We are saying that we don't need God's help or God's instruction. We are saying, I can do this on my own. And Jacob writes that this will be the result. Whenever you have envy and whenever you have selfish ambition, this will be the result. Two things. Disorder and every evil practice. And oh, by the way, this shows up in congregations. In fact, it shows up a lot in congregations. People will have an idea. It's usually a very good idea. But the problem is that they feel so strongly about it that it becomes too personal. And so they present the idea to whoever's in charge, and when nothing happens for whatever reason, or it doesn't happen soon enough, they take it personally, get upset, and then they leave. It happens a lot. Dear ones, it's happened here. Let me just give you an example. My, my criteria for looking for or choosing a leader goes something like this. First, I pray, and I ask God to guide me. And if I'm going to find the right person, then I have to ask God to help, because he is really the only one who knows who the right person is. I start looking, usually, for someone who is often very busy. They say yes more often than people who never do much of anything. Now you might say, well, what about the ones who want to do something, but you have not asked them? Well, I ask them too, but please listen. There's usually a reason if someone is not doing anything in the congregation. You know what the reason is? They usually don't want to do anything in the congregation. That's why the Pareto Principle is so prevalent. You know it. 20% of the people do 80% of the work. I don't like that fact. But generally it's true. Praise God it's not true at Son of David Congregation. Many more people here serve than just 20%. And then third, I look at the heart. You see, I'm not looking for someone who's not... I'm looking for someone who's not selfish in their thoughts and actions. I look for someone who doesn't have to be in the spotlight all the time. I mean, for the most part, most of us don't get to start at the top, do we? I once knew of a pastor, I'll leave his name out, who left the pulpit and went into the banking business. Right away, within a few years, he had his own branch. You know why? His dad owned all the banks in that area. Here, son, here's your bank, he said. Here's the problem, though. He didn't know what he was doing or how to treat his employees. And we all have heard stories of people who say that they're going to go to the top of the organization that they're working in and they don't care who they hurt or run over on the way up. Maybe you've been there. Maybe you've seen it. It's not God's way. It's not God's way. Yeshua washed feet. Yeshua served others. He said that if you want to be mature in your faith, you need to deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow him. Deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow him. I was thinking of a personal testimony that would be good to 
let you know what seeking his wisdom was all about. And the one that God kept bringing to mind is one I didn't want to share. But I'm going to share it anyway because he kept bringing it to mind. As many of you know, I came to faith sitting in this congregation in May of 2000. At the time, I was a very successful insurance agent, commercial insurance, making a whole bunch of money. If you figured it out inflation-wise, I'd probably make about four times as much as the income that Tina and I together bring in today. And then all of a sudden, five months later, for whatever reasons, be they unjust as they were, I got fired from my agency. Oh, by the way, it was a month and a half before I would become a brokered, full-time, can't-fire-me agent. Go figure. My manager was told that he was going to be taken out of his job, that his district was going to be disbanded, and that either he would take my agency or find somewhere else to work. Guess what his choice was? And so there I was with no job. There I was sending out resumes week after week after week after week for about seven months with no response. I did finally get a response, by the way. I got so mad and so upset and so disgusted that nobody was answering my resumes that one week I printed out my resumes on Dayglo paper. And I got called the next week. And as he was interviewing me, I asked him, why did you choose me out of all the rest? He said, your resume stuck out from all the rest. But here's the point I'm getting to. During those seven months, we had no income. This was back when Dennis thought he had wisdom. And Dennis listened to all the accountants and everything. How many of you remember when you were supposed to build up all kinds of debt on your credit card because the interest was tax deductible at that time? Anybody remember that? Yeah. Well, I took full advantage of that. That's not wisdom either. And then all of a sudden, we had no money. No money at all. I had to pull out all of my retirement income from the insurance company. Foolishly enough also took out the amount that should have been taxed at the time. No wisdom in that, is there? Fast forward, and I get a letter from the IRS. I hope none of you ever get a letter from the IRS. It said, you owe $7,000 plus in taxes, and we need it by next month. So I looked at Tina and I said, I don't know what to do. And my wife gave me the best advice you could ever give. Why don't we pray about it? Why don't we pray about it? And the prayer was a very simple one. Please, God, guide us in this dilemma that we've put ourselves in. And this is what the Lord told me to do, and this is what I did. I walked into the IRS office. I waited patiently and humbly in line. I went up to the desk and I said very clearly and very honestly, I owe 7,000 and something dollars and I don't have the money to pay for it. Fully expecting them to put me in cuffs and take me to jail. And the guy behind the desk said, you know, $5,000 is the threshold we have for making a payment schedule. I said, well, it's 7,000, whatever. I, I really don't know what to say. 
And he looked at me and he said, go talk to the man over there at that desk. I said, okay. So I walked over to the man at the desk and I said, "Um, hi. He said, hi, why are you here? I said, well, the guy over there told me to come here. He said, what's the problem? I said, I owe $7,000 and I don't have it. And this is what he said. Can you afford $200 a month? I said, no. He said, can you afford $150 a month? No. He said, what can you afford? I said, about $100. To which he said, how about $115? I said, deal. (laughs) That doesn't make sense unless you follow the wisdom of God and do exactly what he says, even if it's not logical. You just don't walk into an IRS office and say, I can't pay you. And then the IRS people don't give you an out when they tell you there's no way out. But the wisdom that is from above is wisdom that directs lives. The wisdom that is from above is the wisdom that grows your faith. And three years later, the IRS sent me a note and said, congratulations, your debt's been paid. There's a difference, dear ones, between wisdom and just information. One is from above, and one is from the flesh. So here are a couple of thoughts about wisdom to close with. One, this may sound strange, but it's true. Wisdom has a beginning. Wisdom has a beginning. You see, there's a specific time when it begins to enter into our lives. The psalmist says it this way, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Of wisdom, When we begin to fear, when we begin, begin to reverence, when we begin to respect the Lord, the creator of all, wisdom starts to come into our lives. That's the first step. And here's why. If you respect someone, you tend to do what they say. Hmm? When we disobey someone, we disrespect them. There is no place for disrespect in our fear of the Lord. Two. The world offers a lot of different ways to fight, find wisdom. Just walk into any bookstore if you can still find one. There are more self-help books and how-to books than you can absolutely imagine. Oh, by the way, they all say different things. They don't work, really. If wisdom is your goal and you take the path that the world offers, dear ones, you will never find it. Three. The greatest source of wisdom is the Bible. 2 Timothy 3.15 says it like this. The Holy Scriptures are able to give you wisdom. The Holy Scriptures are able to give you wisdom. All true wisdom, dear ones, all true wisdom comes from God's Word. Period. Period. And four, just like we need food to eat, Water to drink and air to breathe in, and air to breathe in in order to live physically. We need food and water and the breath of the word to live spiritually. Let me say that again. Just like we need food to eat, water to drink, and air to breathe in in order to live physically, we need the food and water and the breath of the word, the ruach of the word, to live spiritually. Spend time with it. Spend time with it. Soak it in. Eat it up. 
It's better than the best filet mignon, I guarantee you. It's tastier than the most expensive bottle of champagne, and it's the very breath, the very ruach of God himself. Deuteronomy 8.3 puts it like this, Man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. To which I say, Bon Appetit. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I must admit your wisdom sometimes makes no earthly sense. Praise God for that. But my prayer is for myself and for the congregation that you have chosen me to serve, that we would seek your wisdom in all ways, in all things, and at all times. I also pray that this congregation seeks your wisdom, as we have lots of things that we need to make decisions on, in the next few months even. I pray, Lord, that the state we live in and the states around us seek your wisdom. For there are too many men and women with lots of information and no reason and wisdom that sit in seats of power in the Congresses and Senates of our area. I pray for our country, that the leaders of our country would seek your wisdom and not the wisdom of other men. Would see your wisdom in the word of God and not the debates on television. And Lord, would understand that he who blesses Israel will be blessed and he who curses Israel will be cursed. Lord, may the United States be blessed by its blessing of Israel. And Lord, if there's anyone here this morning who lacks wisdom, let today be the day that the fear of the Lord penetrates their heart. And the season of wisdom begins. May your wisdom increase in our lives. May our lives be a witness to those around us. And all this I pray in Yeshua's name. Amen.